The evil of corruption reaches into every corner of the world. Corruption lies at the heart of the most urgent problems we face. Welcome to Confidential Brief, where Chad Thomas takes you into the stories behind the issues facing our society. Good afternoon. We just passed the midday mark on this the 15th of April, halfway through the month, 23 days to the election. This national election is 25 years since our first election on the 27th of April, 1994. And for all intents and purposes, most probably the most important election that we have had over the last 25 years. The State Capture Commission is back in full swing today with Robert McBride back in the hot seat. His testimony is followed today by General Johan Boysen, the ex-head of the DPCI, of Natal. And they'll be chatting about the alleged capture of law enforcement. The PRC inquiry is also back in swing today with the retired General Bantu Holomisa, head of the UDM, um, back testifying and to be cross-examined regarding the testimony he gave about the alleged plunder of PIC funding. The findings of the inquiry into the fitness to hold office of advocates uh, Marebui and Jiba have been handed to our President Ramaphosa for decision, we will be hearing over the next couple of weeks whether or not he believes they are fit to hold public office. I'll be joined in a few minutes in studio by Carl Condon from DNK Management Consultants. He's a veteran South African private investigator, and he's going to be opening up for us a lot about what happens in that uh, that world of intrigue. So stay tuned. I'd like to remind you, though, that the views expressed on the show are not necessarily those of High FM. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. You're listening to Confidential Brief, broadcasting throughout Johannesburg on 101.9 FM. Listen to in over 80 countries via the High FM website, as well as online on your smartphones. Today I'm joined by Carl Condon. Carl is from DNK Management Consultants. Um, and he's from a, a family of private investigators. In fact, his dad, who I knew very well many years ago, was one of the veterans of the private investigation industry. It's now <laughs> pleasant for me to say that um, Carl is now a veteran of the industry because he's been in so long. Carl, welcome to the studio. Chad, thank you, and thanks to your listeners. Carl, yeah, we're talking about your dad, and it's been 22 years since I actually chatted to your dad. Um, obviously, been watching... Um, the business over the years with, 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 with great interest. Um, I've always remembered you guys, you, the, you, the standout investigation company with the Saints as your emblem and you're involved in a lot of, um, different types of private investigations. Um, my first question for you, of, of course, would be how did you get involved? Coming from a family of investigators, was it a natural progression? Yeah, I think, uh, it's quite an interesting story. Just quickly, I, uh, I grew up effectively in a, a single parent home. Uh, my old man, uh, took custody of me after getting divorced when I was two. He was at the time a, a cop heading up um, a one of the first housebreaking units in Pretoria back in the in the early 70s. I'll give away my own age here now. But uh, realized he couldn't do that and continue being uh, being the parent he wanted to be. So he, uh, he took up a job as uh, officially the first PI at the time for an attorney out in, uh, in Pretoria. And uh, what do you do when you've got a three or four year old kid with you and you've got to do surveillance or you've got to do, uh, go out on, uh, on, on a recce or do whatever those things he used to do? Bundle me in the car and pack of chips and <laughs> some slop chips and off we'd go. So I kind of grew up uh, doing that. And as things progressed and he moved into the commercial sector, I sort of followed suit. Uh, school was never going to be my strong point. Um, and it kind of made sense that, uh, 
you know, if I could make a living out of doing something that I'd been exposed to all my life, that was the way to go to. And yeah, that's, that's where we are now. So when did it become you and your dad, DNK? So that happened in, uh, officially 1993. Um, although, um, I had been on his payroll at a previous company he was working for, SSC at the time, um, for a very well-known investigator at the time, Archie Griffiths. Um, so I worked for, under my old man for Archie, um, really as a gopher. Um, go out and sit here and sit there and spend your nights uh, observing buildings and homes. And in 1993, it was time that we we decided, well, you know, let's let's move into our own sector. Um, we felt that there was a lot more that could be done in the crime arena within business sector. Um, so we're talking about thefts and and major losses, um, frauds, etc. So yeah, that was that was where DNK was born. So in those early days, sitting on Dad's lap, was that more the matrimonial type stuff? Yeah, um, I was actually chatting to, to Howard Griffiths, uh, Archie Griffiths' son the other day, who, who still runs SSC. And, um, we were just talking about how things have changed. Um, you know, even at the beginning of the, of, of the DNK era, a lot of our work was the matrimonial stuff and really not stuff that, uh, we like to touch these days. Um, it is quite messy, but it just goes to show how the world has changed and how uh, the country has changed. Um, we now focus on, uh, and unfortunately for the country and, and the world, but more criminal stuff. Um, and that's where it is now. Well, I can't refer any matrimonial to you. <laughs> I don't know who you refer matrimonial to, but it's something you have to stay far from. There's no winners. No, and, you know, I think you've got to be part psychologist, part counselor. Um, it never ends. The job doesn't end, unfortunately, for both parties. Um, lawyers get involved, and it's just, uh, I always say to my own staff, you know, it's, it's, it's messy work. Um, and it's not something we enjoy But now that's the sad thing about private investigations in South Africa And I'm loath to sometimes use the word private investigations Because it conjures up this image of a retired police officer Who's bought himself a pair of binoculars, a tape recorder And he's following a husband who's cheating on a wife And that's his day-to-day activities I don't think the public at large are quite aware of the role That's actually played by private investigators in South Africa Chad, I think you probably know more than than most. You know that is not. Uh, it's exactly the way it's it's envisaged by many people, but it's not what we do. Um, and it's so it still surprises me to this day and age where you go and see a potential new client um, on on a, on a theft case or a criminal matter for that matter, a, a fraud case, a, a scam, and they're still surprised to learn that as commercial or private investigators you do that amount of work they still think you're running around in a trench coat with, with as you said the binoculars um where there's that you know our, my well, in, in my particular case our business exists for the commercial side of it um and uh, as much as uh, i know yours does so yeah it's i think the good old pi they still exist there's still a place for them to do that matrimonial stuff a guy his car and his binoculars um, but as for the rest of us, we've evolved. Um, you know, there's now courses and international recognition. Um, it's definitely a different playing field. Does it not frustrate you having to go out and to be likened to the likes of debt collectors and heavies and bouncers and trying to express to the client that you are a professional, as professional as a firm of accountants or as a firm of attorneys? I think it's probably... The most frustrating part of, of, of doing what we do um, is getting clients to buy into the fact that uh, we are professional in what we do. We do it legally, but um, we do it with dedication. The fact that we're being paid for it obviously um, goes a long way in making sure the job gets done. 
But it is still a frustrating thing to educate people that they have this option. And the sad thing is um, I'm finding that more and more people are now turning to the private sector in forms of com- uh, investigations, forensics, etc., where they would have gone to the police. But these days they're now coming to, to people like ourselves, um, which is great for us. But it's, it, it's not great that, uh, in, in terms of for the country. Um, your police should be doing it, but it's just not physically possible. So if we can educate people out there more and more that there's options, um, and you know there are people out there who can professionally assist them, that would be great. Why do you think there's such a, a need and there's been such a growth within the private investigation industry that's now brought along all these subsidiary-type organizations, be it counter-surveillance, be it forensic auditing, um, all these other forensic data analysis. Do you think it's because perhaps crime has grown exponentially worldwide, or do you think it's a uniquely South African problem where law enforcement is not doing what it should be doing? No, I think it's I think it's an international issue. I mean, you just look at cybercrime. None of us had heard the word 15 years ago. Um, you know, these days it's it's uh, cybercrime, scams, um, all these 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 phishing cons, etc., as they call them. These things all exist internationally, and uh, South Africa's never going to uh, not be part of that. Sadly, though, I do think that uh, we just don't have the law enforcement capacity. Uh, to deal with a lot of these things And there are many guys Who have those expertise Who came out of the ex-armed forces Or, or the SANDF back in the old days um, The specialized police units Back in those days Who found themselves in the private sector now And have skills And they've made those skills available um, to, to various companies If not on their own themselves And that's, uh, that's driven um, not only the industry, but it's driven, it's created a, a space uh, where I think South Africa uh, has some of the best operators in the private sector out there. Um, whereas in, in other countries, that's probably not the case. What space do you think private investigators would fulfill the best role in South Africa currently when it comes to the rendering of private investigations? I think... Because we have the time at our, on our hands in terms of picking the cases we want to do and dedicating it to those cases, I fraud without a doubt, um, and your financial investigations without a doubt. Um, the private sector, to me, just has far better capability to run those things. Our relationships um, with your your, your auditing firms um, have been solidified. Um, and you can go in as a team and you can really make an impact. It's difficult to imagine a police station at police station level trying to deal with, with, with that type of complaint. Um, so I think in the private sector, as investigators, uh, forensics, fraud, um, and as I said, financial, without a doubt, is where your, your, your private investigator, for want of a better word, let's call it your, your commercial investigator, uh, can certainly play a role. We're talking to Carl Condon. He is from DNK Management Consultants. He is a veteran in the investigation industry. And we're touching on the need and the importance of having a commercial investigation service in South Africa. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. We're chatting to Carl Condon, a veteran private investigator from DNK Management, Management Consultant. And the, the organization is involved primarily in the provision of commercial type um, private investigations. When you say commercial investigations, can you be more specific? What is it that, that it is that you investigate? So Chad, look, we've, 
uh, our niche and where we found ourselves and, and had always envisaged we would be when, when starting out was to collect and collaborate evidence uh, for businesses in terms of competitive malpractice, internal thefts, corruption, collusion, um, virtually anywhere where a business concern is suffering losses or bleeding out profits because of nefarious activities. Um, that was what we set out to do. And at the time of doing that uh, 25, almost 26 years back, there wasn't really a um, – well, there certainly wasn't a, a police unit at the time doing it. Subsequently, we've had the commercial crimes unit um, formed, but uh, they tend to spend most of their time stuck with uh, with the basasas and those type of uh, of cases, especially these days. On the ground, your average business business owner doesn't know who to turn to when it comes to internal crimes, internal theft, which, believe me, is as rife as it is anywhere um, in any other sector. So that we hear about the armed robberies, we hear about the uh, the cash in transit heists, the, these things make the news on a daily basis. But what we don't hear about is the millions and millions and millions that is siphoned out through uh, internal crime, internal thefts, and uh, you know, your corruption and your collusion just at normal business level. So that's, that's where we focus at. Undercover, that type of thing. So probe agents, undercover agents, internal theft. Um, what about external syndicates that are targeting companies that are hijacking them or are trying to recruit staff members to, to aid and abet in hijacking of loads, etc.? Yeah, good question. So through our undercover process, um, and, and we deploy undercover nationally, in fact, uh, I would say internationally because we do cross over into the borders in Mozambique and Botswana, but through our undercover uh, operatives who are out there in the field on a daily basis doing a function, we find that we obviously get intelligence where it comes to your syndicates, uh, your hijack syndicates, your corrupt cops that are, are, are posing as uh, or perhaps off-duty posing as cops on duty, pulling vehicles over um, and then hitting them. So we get more and more of this information coming through on a daily basis. We pass a lot of that on to the, onto the SAP. Um, Sadly, not all of it gets attended to, in which case we'd then try and bring it back and, and do it ourselves. Uh, although that comes with its own problems because we've seen then as sort of playing vigilante and, and, and doing the job of, of, of what the cops should be doing. But the reality is that information, because of our intelligence network, comes in. Um, we recently were very successful in a, in a, in a high-profile fraud case um, where the operators were operating out of Berea. Uh, but they had created the impression to their victims that they were operating out of career selling investments. Um, and, and I'm sure you, you, in your line of work and, and doing what you do, know all of these type of things. But so, yeah, the, the, the intelligence is there. Um, and they are, it, it comes through and it comes through regularly, it comes through to us on, on a weekly or a daily basis. And if we can do that, uh, if we can set up those structures, there's no reason why uh, government can't. And I'd like to see that. I'd like to see more informers uh, sharing information, but they need to know that they're going to be treated uh, or protected and confidentiality is going to play a part. Is networking with, with state law enforcement important for you? Oh, absolutely. Um, there's very little we can do when it comes to the end part of our investigations where we don't need some form of assistance or integrate uh, with those agencies that can assist. And uh, and don't get me wrong, there's some fantastic uh, chaps out there and ladies who, um, who more than come to the party when it comes to assisting. 
who are willing to go that extra mile and, and sit Sunday nights going through dockets before we go and see a prosecutor on the Monday morning. Um, if you don't have those type of, of connections and, and you don't collaborate at, at that level, you're going to always be on the back foot. We've come across a lot of people purporting to be private investigators over the years. What are the legal requirements for somebody in South Africa to actually um, conduct the services of a private investigator? So, yeah, another one of my bugbears um, is is these fly-by-night operations, which occur, I suppose, in most businesses and in, in every sector. But firstly, I just want to tell your listeners and those listening that, you know, if you're ever going to go down the route of, of needing a, a, an investigator to come in and assist you in a, in a private capacity, do your homework. Uh, make sure that, uh, A, they're registered. We have to be registered with uh, a governing body called uh, PSIRA, P-S-I-R-A, I I think, uh, Private Security Industry Regulatory Authority, if I get that all right. Uh, Used to be the old Security Officers Board. Um, So we have to be licensed and we have to be registered with them. Um, Of course, uh, if you're going into the, into the, um, the forensics field, it's always good to know that your uh, your investigator is registered with um, with the various forensic bodies um, or the the auditing firms uh, or auditing board. You've got a name for it uh, that, that you guys belong to. Um, ICFP. That's it. Yeah. So, you know, we we look the only board that that really as an investigator, and I'm talking just sort of broadly, is CIRA. Um, that gives us the, the licensing to operate. That's changing as we speak though. CIRA is now moving towards licensing, uh, whether it's private investigator, commercial investigator, forensic investigator. They're now looking at licensing us as a, as a skill on its own, um, as opposed to just general security, which currently it sits with. But as I said, I, I still believe the, the onus is upon, on, on the, uh, the client at the end of the day. Do your homework because the fly by nights are off. Um, you know, every, just because you were in the police for two years or traffic, et cetera, doesn't qualify you to do investigations, particularly at the level that we operate at. I think it's very important for the public to be made aware that in terms of the, the PCRA Act 56 of 2001, it makes it the responsibility of the client to conduct research to ensure that the person is registered. And it makes it a criminal offense to not just offer a service, but to also accept a service from somebody who's unregistered. And like you said, it's also a, a point of contention with, with, with many registered investigators because CIRA as a body represents over 480,000 registered individuals and over 12,000 registered companies. There's 26,000 companies registered, of which 12,000 are active, 2.2 million people registered, of which 480,000 are active. However, only 500 500 of all of those include investigators and investigation companies. So one may think that CIRA is too busy at times to actually focus on the investigators, but it's nice to know that, like you said, it's becoming a skilled um, profession and that they're making, um, they're making it a, a, a necessity. You and I are fortunate we have grandfather clause. I hate the term, but for anybody new that's coming into the industry would have to have done a specific course that's investigator orientated. Yeah, and I think that's how it should be. I mean, that's how it is in most other, uh, certainly first world countries. I think uh, if you're going to be taking money for a service, um, you better, you better well, you know, be professional, know what you're going to do. Um, and I've always been a believer that, you know, competition is healthy, provided that the competition itself is healthy. 
um, and fly-by-nights have caused issues over the years. Um, Lone Rangers, these type of guys who go out and promise the world. And, and you know, we've had several cases, several probably hundred um, in the past 25 years of tracking down so-called private investigators on behalf of clients who've lost money. Um, because these guys have taken a chance, realized it's, it's a lot more difficult than what they initially thought. Probably didn't set out to defraud anybody or take money, but soon realized that this comes with costs and like any business has got to be run that way. Um, so if Sirius steps up to the plate and can, can start, uh, putting more pressure on us in terms of what they expect and making sure, like the guarding industry is pleased with, they'll rock up and they'll do a, an inspection and, and ask everyone to see their zero cards and their accreditations and their grades. That's great for the guarding industry, which is huge. Um, but I'd like to see more of that in, 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 the, in the investigations field. That being said, we've reached the halfway mark. Um, as usual, we're going to be keeping it local. They are now celebrating three decades in South African music. This is Claire Johnson, Mango Groove with Special Star. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. I'm chatting to Carl Condon. He is the head of DNK Management Consultants, one of the oldest and most well-known private investigation firms in South Africa. Let's talk more about the relationship between private investigators and law enforcement. Do you think that there should be a move more towards an integrated relationship so that there could be more of a public-private partnership rather than than PIs just referring cases to the police? Oh, yeah, without a doubt. I think... If in my lifetime I could see something like that uh, come to fruition, I would be probably you know as happy as one's going to be within a business environment because there are days where you just feel you're operating alone um, in a vacuum of your own space and a lot of times against what perhaps your local police or, or, or law enforcement agency is trying to do. And there's still, without a doubt, we've we've experienced it and we do regularly. There's still animosity. Uh, between private sector and, uh, and, and government when it comes to investigations, when it comes to even just general law enforcement, um, there, there's this battle. So I would be one of those that, that would be a, a huge flag bearer if, if I could, if we could get that right, um, because there's a need for it. In, in State v. Boerta 1995, the presiding judge found that the investigation of crime was not the sole domain of the South African police. And that that led, obviously, to more private investigations taking place, etc. At that stage, private investigations were more along the lines, like you mentioned earlier, matrimonial, etc. But finally, there was a court ruling that stated that others, other than, than the police, could investigate crime. Obviously, we have to be registered pursuant to certain legislation, such as PCRA, etc. But you, you hit a nerve when you said to me that the police themselves show at, at, at times animosity and lack of cooperation. Now, to put that into perspective for our listeners, about three years ago, the then head of the, of the Hawks, um, General Berrien Clemenza, issued a standing order to state that the police could not cooperate with private investigators. And this standing order was because he was having a personal fight with a very well-known private investigator who had taken upon himself 
to to fight the generals and to expose fraud and corruption within the policing service. Now, I, for one, am not here to investigate the state. I'm here to investigate to assist the state where possible. But that particular order was set aside. Do you think there's still this animosity and that the police still believe that we are trying to do their job for them and don't realize the important role that we can play? Oh, I don't think it. I, I, I think it's fact. I know it. Um, personal experience. And it's quite strange because it's we have this scenario where we've had situations where the police will come to us off the record and ask us to carry out for example, surveillance on their behalf. They just don't have the manpower. They don't have the equipment. They don't have the skills um, to carry out a, a surveillance over a particular area or person. Um, and we'll do that on their behalf and collect the, the evidence they're looking for. The flip side to that is we've done exactly the same and then presented evidence to another sort of police concern. Um, I need to be told that you know, invasion of privacy, what were we doing? I mean, they don't half the time even know the law when it comes to where you can sit and can't sit and surveillance, how it can be conducted in the private, uh, well, in the public sector and domain. But um, it, it's quite clear that we've obviously tread on the wrong toes um, and upset people. So, yeah, there's this animosity. I think uh, the higher you go up the ranks in a particular, and I'm talking at police station level, the more that animosity seems to sort of Get thrown at you that you're now trying the, the word I, we often get told or my guys get told is you're trying to play policemen. Um, sadly, our playing policemen uh, yields better results, but um, that's the reality. I just, there, there is that animosity. It exists. It's a very sad indictment when one goes to state law enforcement and expects them to assist and they don't want to. But let's move on. In your opinion. What makes a good PI? We know that somebody needs to be registered and to do courses, but what what makes a good PI? Chad, I think the quick answer to that is uh, common sense, logic, and integrity. I think I think those three. You're not, uh, you know, Sherlock Holmes. All these great movies, uh, they all play a part in, in creating an impression as to what people think a, a PI or an investigator has. But you know, if you've got logic, you've got uh, you can think out the box. You've got integrity. Um, and and you you've got a passion for it. It's like any industry. That is what will make you uh, successful or not successful. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to talk about some of the more memorable cases that Carl has investigated over the years. You're listening to the Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. Before we went to break, we were chatting to Carl about the legalities of um, private investigations, the relationship between private investigators and state law enforcement. But now I want to know more about Carl and his investigation, his investigations over the years. Um, Carl, something must stand out. Let's talk about some of the cases, and then we're going to talk about the case that stands out for you. Yeah, I think 30 years almost of doing it, um, <laughs> I've often thought maybe I should write a book. It would be quite interesting for the average reader out there to to sort of get an insight as to what what happens in the private sector in terms of what we investigate. So the stories are numerous, and I think yeah, I've got I've got loads that one day the grandkids can hear if I can remember them. But uh, I'll always uh, I always think back to um, when I started off uh, with DNK, and we started off uh, our one of our first investigations happened to be for um, a hospital. Um, who was suffering financial losses, couldn't quite pinpoint where it was. 
So we infiltrated, um, as we do with undercover, and we started running the investigations and, and surveillance. And uh, we quickly learned that their biggest losses, in fact, were um, in the catering section, uh, where all the food that comes into a hospital obviously gets processed and stored in freezers and walk-in cold rooms. It's then cooked and, and delivered to the patients. And they were just suffering at the time. Um, it was hundreds of thousands of rands worth of, of losses. Cut a long story short, the investigation uh, quickly showed us as to how they were doing it. And they were smuggling this meat out with the corpses um, that were leaving this hospital to go to a morgue to be prepared for, uh, or to the burial home for that, for that matter, to be prepared for, for burial. So uh, stuck in amongst the body bag and everything else would be these lamb chops or beef sirloins or whatever they were. And uh, a connection on the route would, would stop the uh, the vehicle, offload the meat, and uh, the body would go on to wherever it was going to be buried, and the family would come around. And, uh, yeah, who knows where the meat ended up, but uh, on somebody's plate somewhere. So th- that had always struck me at the time when I was young. At those days, I thought, well, better make sure I stick to Woolworths or Spa, one of these places, because uh, it was just it was amazing to see this, but it was happening. I didn't see that coming. I thought you were going to tell me they body wrapped it or they under delivered and they collected from the people that were delivering somewhere else. But you actually hide it amongst bodies. Yeah, they hid it amongst bodies. And in fact, uh, on that particular case, it escalated in, and things were so bad that we did a search of a home. Um, and we found an x-ray machine. It was the other thing that struck us as, as amazing that someone could steal an entire x-ray machine. Now in those days, X-ray machines weren't uh, small, sophisticated um, things. Well, these days they're not that small, but they were twice the size of what they are now. And here was one sitting in a, in a bloke's garage in Germiston um, while he was trying to offload it. So, yeah, that will always be a case that, that sticks with me. Um, I wanted to ask you, today we, we, we see that um, Robert McBride is at the state capture inquiry, and later you've got Johan Boyson testifying, the ex-head of the, the Hawks in KZN. Do you think that the capture of law enforcement agencies in South Africa has had a direct impact in what we as private investigators do? Um, it's, it's obviously a, a fact that it has contributed to a higher rate of crime. But do you think it's impacted on what we as, as investigators do? No, I don't think from my perspective it, it hasn't impacted on, on certainly on, on myself or, or, or my company. Um, and as far as I know, it hasn't really impacted on, on, on other investigators in the field. Um, we still get tasked with, uh, you know, having to gain evidence, gather evidence, etc., and do what we need to do. And we get on and we do that. Um, our, our work doesn't change. I think where we might find the impact is in the months and years to come when our dockets finally do end up in, in, in the right places, in courts, in front of prosecutors. Um, and hope they're not uh, tainted or, or, or in any way uh, lost as they tend to get these days. So um, that might affect us. But in terms of the work, no, uh, mine certainly hasn't been affected. A lot of people are more willing to come forward and speak to private investigators and to blow the whistle to private investigators. Do you think that in view of this, private investigators should should have a formal relationship with the state and perhaps even have a seat at the anti-corruption task team where we can bring information to the fore? Without a doubt. I think uh, the amount of information that we get, even even information that we don't pursue, but it just comes through to us because people are frustrated. They don't know who to talk to. Um, these days with the Internet and email, they can remain confidential. Um, so the amount of info that comes across my desk 
um, I could I would love to be sharing at as you quite correctly said at a forum that is is not only going to have a look at it seriously um, or take it seriously but has the the acumen and the the the, the mental um, sort of perspective on how these type of things or that particular crime can be handled and who should be handling it because at the end of the day that's what law enforcement is it's about information and just like the police need informers why should we not be uh, sitting in and, and sharing this information. I mean, if I see the stuff that we get, I can only imagine the stuff that you get times that by the other 500 that are out there, um, legitimate organizations and, and, and companies. There must be a lot that, that people know and would like to share, but just don't know who to talk to. Kyle, something I've noticed over the last two years is an influx um, of emails into my inbox of people looking for work that have studied um, criminal justice at various universities or criminology, etc., on occasion, we've had some intern for us. On occasion, we've hired some of these individuals. But we found that their practical knowledge is, is severely, severely lacking. Would you support an initiative by Sira Sasita and other investigators to introduce an intern um, policy of sorts that the state could fund? Uh, again, not only would I support it, I'd campaign for it. Um, if we just look at, at, at DNK, for example... We we took the initiative, the initiative upon ourselves about two years ago to bring in uh, young people studying investigative journalism um, to give them an opportunity to get their sort of feet wet in in the practical world, um, not just from what the textbooks say and what the lecturers tell you, but to 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 get an experience of what it's like to to go out on a particular case. Um, understand what it's like to interview somebody and, and get information back and then use that information to conduct your social media intelligence operations. Um, and I, I, I wish more investigation companies would do that because uh, the really good ones um, will obviously find a place thereafter within hopefully your business or, or, or someone you're close to who you can refer them to. Um, but the most can go back and continue their careers Having had experience of what the investigation field, which is so huge. I mean, investigations, you know, people talk investigations and we can briefly say one or two things, but the investigation field this, in this day and age is huge. And I think with things like Bitcoin, et cetera, it's just getting bigger and bigger. So we'll be talking to investigators in, in a couple of years time that uh, are talking a language I certainly won't understand. I mean, I have to get my 11 year old to sort my iPad out. So. You know, that's where investigations are going to go, um, with cybercrime, et cetera. And I think if investigation companies can give these people uh, an opportunity to, to experience firsthand what crime is, how it works, how the process works, how a docket ends up eventually on a desk, how it goes to a prosecutor, what better way is there for a, a young aspiring investigator, auditor, uh, journalist, than to sort of get a grip on what they're going to be tackling in their careers? We're going to take our last ad break of the day. When we come back, we're going to give you the details of how you can find out more about DNK Management Consultants. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. Carl Condon, thank you so much for joining us today. Tell us more about how we can find out more about your history, some of the cases you've been involved with, and if people want to get in touch with you. Chad, yeah, first of all, I just want to thank you um, and Chai FN for having me uh, and to your listeners out there for giving up their time and listening. 
I hope what we've discussed here, as I say, um, can help at least one or two people out there. And if, if they do need our assistance or, or want to speak to me, they're always welcome to contact me um, at www.investigators.co.za, which is the, uh, the, the company's website. On that website is uh, our email addresses. Feel free. My phone number's there as well. I don't mind taking calls and talking to people. It's, uh, it's always intrigued me. Just side issue as to why people claim their own businesses and you can never get hold of them because you have to be screened, etc. I don't, I don't see the point of that. I like to deal with, uh, with, with my clients or potential clients or even just anybody who's got a question, uh, myself. So they're welcome to phone me, um, even through yourself if they're, if they're looking for us. Um, on our website is our blog page, a couple of stories and some interesting snippets, um, and some advice. I generally like to dis- dispense advice to people. Um, they need to know what they're looking for in certain things. Um, it costs you nothing to browse and have a look, and maybe they'll find uh, find something there that can help them. www.investigators.co.za. Not a difficult one to remember. Very lucky that you got that one registered. Carl, thank you so much for your time today. Chad, thank you, and thanks very much. We'll be playing out with Paul Simon, another person to have visited South Africa to really have made his mark on the South African music market with his collaboration with Ladies with Black Babasu. This song is Graceland.